G'day, it's Phil Edwards, Vision CEO here, with a quick invitation to become part of this amazing beacon of hope called Vision. Together we can put our love into action to help people of all kinds build or rebuild their lives on the truth of God. Please consider the part you can play during our upcoming Visionathon appeal, remembering that it's your support that makes Vision possible, including this podcast. Life, culture and current events from a biblical perspective. 2020 with Neil Johnson on Vision. We're going to pose a lot of burning questions and uh, hopefully we'll get across some of the answers to some of these. An interesting one to really start with today. Here's the question. If God made snakes, why are they poisonous? Why wouldn't God create snakes without venom that's deadly to humans? Well, it might even be linked to a whole host of other questions uh, that we might grapple with today. Um, with questions around a good God. How does he allow bad things to happen? After all, isn't the God of the universe, the all-knowing, all-powerful, all-good creator of the heavens and the earth? And you know, it might even extend to those questions closer to home. We might ask, why doesn't God stop the pain that I'm going through? Why doesn't a good God intervene and end suffering in the world? Well, there's lots of dimensions to questions like these. And we'll start with this one, which is pretty impressive for Aussies. You know, if God made snakes, why are they poisonous? Back today with John Mackay, the creation guy. He's founder of Creation Research and the Aussie Creation Museum, Jurassic Ark. John, a special welcome back to 2020. G'day, 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 mate. It's really good to be here. Even though this sort of turned up at short notice, we're really happy to be part of Vision this morning. <laughs> well, it's always a pleasure having you in that hot seat there now. And uh, I know that listeners will know that uh, there's no question that's out of bounds, mm-hmm. uh, no holds barred. Uh, listeners can call in with questions. And you know what? If we haven't got any answers, we'll be honestly saying that. But, but there are answers to a lot of things that people ask uh, which are readily available. Before we get into this really hot topic today, though, John, uh, some good developments around your creation museum. Certainly are. For many years, you know, I've been collecting fossils. Our team has been collecting fossils. We've got a museum in Tasmania that since COVID sort of let loose, uh, we've been able to have 700 people since Christmas go through it. Probably 800 now haven't added this week's total. We've got an outdoor museum at Gympie, which is now back and sort of heading in the right direction up to three years of nothing. And at last, folks, at last, God has answered our prayers. We've wanted a place to put all our expensive fossils, all our sensitive fossils, all our you know fragile stuff, museum inside, not outside. Yep. And uh, we've been praying for a location between Caloundra and Coolangatta and Toowoomba. You know, the tourist triangle. Yep. And would you believe it? The answers come almost slap bang in the GPS central just off the M7. Oh, I can't tell you exactly where it is because we're having a big reveal meeting on the 19th for some of our supporters just to show them the vision and a public one after that. So just pray for us and praise the Lord. He answers prayers right to the GPS point. This is exciting news. No doubt we'll come back and just mention that again and uh, give that date you mentioned, March 19th, a a big reveal on some Mm -hmm. new developments that are happening around that Creation Museum. Hey, let's come to our topic, uh, the question that you've been 
hit with of recent times. I know you've written an article about this too, and there's listeners who might be looking for deeper insight into these sorts of things. But start with this fact, John. Here we are as Aussies. And from time to time, you'll read articles uh, from people who are uh, international, anywhere around the world, and they think about Australia as the land of all these deadly things, mm-hmm. whether it's whether it's the deadliest snakes or the crocodiles in or our favourite water. Spiders, you know, go for a swim at the beach and look out, there's a white pointer ready to take you down. Hey, we live in a deadly land, don't we? We certainly do. In fact, this question came from a, a guy in Rockhampton. I've just come back from Rockhampton, and he loved reptiles, loved keeping them, loved using it. He said, I want to be able to take them to schools. I thought, great stuff. What, what do I need to be prepared for? Now, he's got all his licenses and all those sort of things, right? And I said, well, listen, the commonest question I get out there, and you'll have to know the answer, is if God made them. And that's what you're saying now, you're a Christian. Now, he hasn't been a Christian very long. You can see by what's covering his arms. <laughs> but but he's actually keen to do this. And I said, the commonest question is, if God loves us, if God made us good, why are snakes poisonous? Now, as you've said, we've got an answer on the website, but I'll give you a, uh, well, that's creationresearch.net, click Q&A, click fact file. But just to give you a, a quick answer, I said, well, not all snakes are poisonous. He said, oh, I know that. I've got some pythons and they crawl all over me, right? And uh, I said, well, the poisonous ones are are interesting because one of the things we experience here in Australia, most people overseas never experience this, that we can have kids bitten by a really poisonous snake and the kid suffers no effect at all. Huh? I said, look, haven't you noticed that kittens and cats treat children differently than they treat adults? If an adult looks like it's a threat, the cat goes, right? But if a kid touches it, and it can pull hairs, pull tail, and the pussycat just hisses and doesn't scratch. Children are different to animals than, than adults are. I said the same is true with snakes. They can detect it's a child who's no threat to them, so they don't inject, right? They've got a choice about whether they inject or whether they don't. But what is it they do inject? And if you've ever been bitten by a snake or a spider like I have, it really hurts in a very short period of okay, time. You've been bitten by a snake or by a spider? A sp- by a spider. By a spider, right. yes. Okay. I think the, the antivenin did a lot more damage than the bite did, but the bite was bad <laughs> enough. And uh, anyway, the, 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 the poison that comes out of the snake's fangs actually turns out to be a digestive enzyme. And the reason it hurts so much is it would normally be injected into their food because snakes have a problem that you and I don't have. They can't chew, so they must swallow things whole. So therefore, they have enzymes down their stomach which act on the outside, but they also inject it into the food so that it digests from the inside out. Otherwise, it will be stuck in their stomach for months and they die from food poisoning. Now, when you get pain from these bites, it's because the enzyme is now inside you and your muscle is starting to dissolve from the inside out. Man, is that poisonous. But A, they can choose who they eject. B, in an original world that God made, hint, hint, wink, wink, nudge, nudge, you will hear John Mackay, the creation guy, saying this over and over again. Don't blame God. He made everything good. And in that good world, what's the definition? It's not a moral world. It's not a moral word. It's that God made all the creatures to eat plants. Now, no tomato being eaten by a snake is going to complain about the digestive enzymes being put inside it because snakes can't chew it. If you have a big turnip or a potato eaten by a snake, it has to be digested from the inside. So, A, it's a brilliant means for digesting something if you can't chew. B, 
after sin comes in, then we get aggro. Think carefully. Dogs and pussycats fight each other, the Bible says, because we sinned. We cut ourselves off from God. And now I know people who kick a cat out of the road or throw a stick at a dog, not just for the dog, and we antagonize them. And so how sin has passed on the whole of creation. So don't be surprised. Whatever defense mechanism they can think of, I've got sharp teeth, I've got something, wow, and they bite. Now, maybe they discovered that by accident, we just don't know. But there's no record of animals attacking people or each other until the book of Job. That's how long it took. So you'll find there are another sort of snake, I had to double check on this because I'd never really done the in-depth research and the snake keeper comes and says, what about pythons? They don't have venom. I said, no, but you'll find that's because they've got a good digestive enzyme in their stomach already and they've got a tooth substitute. Now, to give you a bit of a funny, one of my friends who was a teacher in a classroom used to love taking his pet pythons along. And I was there one day when he draped the python around his neck And whatever aggravated the python, perhaps it was the kids laughing because the python wrapped itself around his neck and he's going blue. And the kids (laughs) thought it was part of the show, right? But in reality, the muscles in a python are incredibly strong and they act to, I mean, you put an egg in a python's mouth and it will be crushed. All the food is now available. If you put an animal, the python crushes it so it doesn't need to chew at all. And actually, if you look at the pH of a python's stomach, it's way down there to the acid level. So a python will take a koala or a, a um, even even a baby kangaroo at one end, and by the time it comes out the other end, it's a black spot with a bit of white paste, right? The pH, the acidity of the stomach is incredible, whereas the venomous animals have a very low acidity in their, uh, in their stomach. It's not, it won't digest things. John, for the evolutionary thinker, the person who says, oh, here they are talking about uh, God, the Creator, Garden of Eden, uh, sin, and people get, uh, sometimes they think, oh, this is not what I learned at school. This is not what I learned in university. I've got a degree and letters after my name and uh, those sorts of things. They sound like a little sort of an excuse or a sideline here, but The evolutionary thinker doesn't have a lot of purpose, doesn't have a lot of meaning. And so if you're looking for understanding about why these sorts of things are meaningful, you have to include God in the equation. Any thoughts here around Adam and Eve, uh, venomous snakes, uh, difference that it makes to our values, to our purpose, to the meaningfulness of our own lives today? Well, I'll give you two examples. Uh, I've just been in the schools in Rocky for the past week, high school and primary school, and one of the brightest kids in the school who doesn't come from a Christian family, right? And it's interesting how we found this out. He went home to his dad and he said, Dad, you know all that stuff about creation? Yes. He said, well, it's true. I saw the evidence myself today at school because I was a guest speaker at the school. It's true, Dad. And Dad, the reason we know this is that Dad actually got in touch with a Christian guy who's been witnessing to him. And he said, you know, that stuff in Genesis? Yes. Well, my son, who's really bright, came home and said, it's true, Dad. I think I'd better start listening to what you say. The Christian's been witnessing to him. The Christian, of course, reported this to us. And I thought, isn't that interesting? Here this guy had rejected the gospel because he thought you couldn't believe Genesis. Very logical. If you can't believe the first page, you can't believe the last page and anything in between. 
So there's a direct relationship between God's creation, a good world, and the factual basis of faith. Remember, Jesus and, and the apostles wrote constantly, if it's not true that Christ rose from the dead, your faith is a waste of time. So here we have a man now proceeding to ask the Christian, tell me more. Great stuff. Second issue. When God made Adam and Eve, it was a very good world. They weren't scared of the great white sharks in the pond in the Garden of Eden because they have beautiful teeth that are actually really sharp with sore edges. Uh, Brilliant, by the way, if you want to eat giant kelp. And don't think kelp is a meaningless stuff out there. You people eat it at the moment, right? You can get uh, ice cream, which is made out of kelp and things like that. So we still use kelp for its nutrition. And sharks are brilliantly designed for soaring apart big things like that. But when you look at the um, fear level in the Garden of Eden, there was none. It was a very good world. You could pat the snake, right? Uh, perhaps that's why they weren't afraid of a snake back there in the beginning. They could see no fear, no, no, no threat, and the devil used it to trick Eve. Sad but true. Then we sin, and from then on it's gone downhill with snakes, with animals, with lions, with tigers, with sharks. So when we're reflecting on the Garden of Eden, Adam and Eve, uh, there's before and after the fall, and the thought here that might be for some hard to comprehend, but the thought here that you're reflecting around the fall in the Garden of Eden is that the snake would never have intended to bite Adam and Eve before the fall. Is, is that is that the mind the right track here? I would suspect that's the case, or that because they they had been around just for the day, of course, or two days, whatever it was, they were in the Garden of Eden, and you'll find that the snake represented no threat. They already knew because Adam had named all the animals from the snake to the you know to the the big tall animals, whatever he'd named them all. Right, all the land animals God had sent to him, and he'd had no threat at all. So he was well experienced with animals, even though Eve wasn't. Adam was. So don't be surprised the devil picks on Eve first, but she's not afraid. Everything around her is very good. And he tricks her, and then she is used to bring Adam down. Right? The devil is subtle, and beware, folks. The snakes are still here, and they're a little more dangerous than they were in the Garden of Eden. But the chief snake, the chief serpent, the devil, is still here, and he's out to get the people of God. Don't play him off for too little. Don't play him off for too big. He's not in everything. He's not God. Only God is everywhere and knows everything, but the devil is still very real, and the snakes can be used. Teach your kids to stay away from them. I'm always grateful my mum said, son, see that patch of grass over there? Yes, mum. Don't go in it in the middle of the day because that's where the deaf adders are. Oh, okay, mum. What will they do to me? Kill you. Right? And that's really true. Their poison venom and Ken can do that to you. But a little kid? No, they won't touch them. They're quite interesting. Helping you make sense of life, culture and current events from a biblical perspective. 2020 on Vision. Our talkback line open, 1-800-316-316. We're asking an important question today. It's got lots of depth, lots of dimensions. If God made snakes, why are they poisonous? Uh, There's calls coming through and we'll want to get to those. But John, uh, just quickly uh, on these enzymes mm-hmm. uh, give us some little uh, an extra little bit of depth here mm-hmm. to understand the value of recognizing the snake is uh, digesting right. or those digestive right. juices in the enzymes okay one of our guys has been a qualified zookeeper right he's qualified with the highest level in the UK and so he is great to take to schools and play with these snakes right so we know a lot of this firsthand 
But he was amazed when he came to Australia because our bearded dragons have been discovered to have rattlesnake poison in their digestive enzymes they use in their mouth. But as you know, bearded dragons don't go around killing you. Um, they're pretty friendly, even though the venom in their mouth is strong enough to kill a small pup or a small cat, but they don't use it for that. So there's got to be an attitude here as well as the enzyme. The enzyme is strong enough to kill the baby cat, kill the baby dog, etc. So we know what the enzyme is, and the fact is it's in a snake too, so don't say it was invented for poison, it's invented for digestion. Um, secondly, when you look at this stuff here, if you want to follow it up, I'm going to slip a commercial in here. I was asked to give a program to a medical group and uh, we filmed it. It's called The Real History of Worms and Germs and all of these things come up in that. So you can even play it as a streaming now. Go to our creationresearch.net website and get a lot more of this for yourself. Um, so what was the second part of the question, Neil? I've forgotten it. <laughs> I've forgotten too, but I've got another... <laughs> I've got another uh, dimension here, just to, I think, in laying a foundation for this conversation, and who knows where listeners will take us, uh, we might be off on all sorts of tangents, but if we're talking pre-fall and post-fall, uh, the entry of sin mm-hmm. into humanity, uh, for the thought that uh, before the fall, Animals didn't eat animals, uh, that they mm-hmm. were vegetarian. Uh, you know, there's all sorts of dimensions in there too. People might want to catch a hold of. Mm-hmm. Um, the struggle to survive, because take God out of the equation and humans are just like every other animal, survival of the fittest. But somehow or other, humans have been able to form themselves into cultural groups mm-hmm. and civilization has been able to grow. And peaceful, harmonious civilization comes when there is a connection with a, an external force, a mm-hmm. transcendent God. So this is where it gets really important and valuable for us. Thoughts here on pre-fall, post-fall, mm-hmm. and what difference there is for the Christian or for the, just mm-hmm. the human. Uh, you know the fact the fact that we're Christian that's another dimension as yeah, well. It is. Throw in the current world situation: Ukraine versus Russia. Two brothers set up both places, right? Family feud. But think of what's come out of it in the positive. Your drones are now a whole lot better than they used to be. So even conflict and war can bring forth things that we think of as positive, even though it's tragic, the number of deaths that's involved because sin, family conflicts always brings forth death. And the same is true back in the Garden of Eden. Adam and Eve... Adam, uh, Eve is tempted, but Adam sins. Now, ladies, be rejoicing in that. The Bible never blames women for sin. Always the man, right? And then when they left the Garden of Eden, you've got two brothers, and all of a sudden, they're fighting each other too. So Cain has to think, how will I kill this wretched brother of mine? Probably invented the first stone tool, right? And and beat him up. But then the tools from then on, he's got to think of, well, I can't farm anymore because God cursed me. So how do I survive with non-farming do i invent trading right all sorts of things will come out of that from the negative but then the other ones of, of adam's children have to go and say well i'm a vegetarian i can't kill the animals i love the animals right i i must invent a farming community because god has told me to till the earth and and and, and reap from it and so you get technology right from the start and so what you've got is people who are farmers right from the start and city builders right cane builder city so most of the history we've been taught is nonsense you didn't don't get farmers turning slowly into city builders you don't get warriors turning into farmers or anything like that and i say that because the latest paper just last week was how only after farming was invented do we have war right 
Uh, and you think, oh, come on. No, only after sin happened do we have war between farmers and city builders, etc. So all of those things, cultural technology, etc., all trace their bottom problems back to Adam's sin. And they can sometimes trace their benefits also to the outworking of how do I deal with sin better? It's hot today. I'll invent air conditioning. Right, But the heat only comes because Adam sinned ultimately. And isn't it good to take sin to a deeper level where it's not not just doing naughty things, uh, but sin actually a way that affects the whole of the makeup of humanity? Hey, taking calls, 1-800-316-316. Let's hear from Cindy in Benalla. Hello, Cindy. Welcome. Hello. I got rat problems um, because I got a lot of garden and a lot of poultry. yeah, normally it's a mice problem and one rat in the compost, but the one rat got away into breeding and now that's coming up to cold weather, it's gotten worse. I'm trying the snappy traps and they occasionally get them, so then I tried the little cat cages, the little four rats that you can get at Bunnings. That was working for a while, but then they, I stopped being able to catch them and then they decided to get into my hay in the duck shed and they made a mess in there and started breeding. So I I have to get to them before they get to the house because every time I go out at night time, about 10 of them are all over the top of the um, cages of the chook shed and the pigeon cage scaring the animals. My pigeon ended up with a black eye yesterday trying to fly at night time. So um, apparently they can cause your house to catch on fire if they eat the wiring and then they breed in your roof so I've got to get them before that so I'm up to the point where I have to use the baits and I didn't want to this is a problem, last year I used the baits, normally I use them in the little bait um, box for mice because it's got a little hole when I had the mice problem. Cindy, talk about putting John Mackay to the test today and uh, I think there'll be a lot of people in rural communities can really relate Mm to uh, rats and mouse plagues and uh, bad things that happen Mm -hmm. uh, with these sorts of things. John, what's your response for Cindy? Okay, having lived on the land, having had chickens, having had rats, uh, I mean, obviously, your first point is make sure your compost bin is cut off from where the rats can get in. Um, Rats only multiply where we provide them with the food, whether it's the haystack or whatever. You're worried about them getting into the house. hate to tell you this, they're probably already there. Uh, They are really clever at multiplying and filling your property. So if you can do anything to stop them getting that, including having a cat or 10 cats, right? That's why farmers always had a loose cat out in the field. As much as we don't like animals being killed, the reality is if you don't in this sin-filled world, they will take over. So when I was out at one country school, I spent the week in that school and we had to lock our food in the car overnight because there was a mouse plague. And these happen regularly in Queensland and they invaded everything, the schoolroom, the classroom. School was terrible that week, but we had to do something that said, hey, guys, God gave me dominion. Right, God gave me the man, mankind, dominion over the rats. You are not entitled to be in here. If you don't leave by choice, I will force you to leave. So find a way. You may not like using the baits, but in reality, in the end, it may be you or them. Right, but just make sure your baits aren't anywhere kids can get. Make sure they aren't anywhere the other animals can get. I used them in the. I had one rat um, bait box last year and I used it. I don't, haven't used it before because I just was focusing on the mice. So that last year I used the one for the rats and they don't tell you till after it's too late that rats actually take the bait and cart it around the yard and drop it. 
Oh, they and will I do that. Know that. And I, my dog died. Mm. They will oh. do that, of course, because they're designed to work on making the rat bleed, which makes it thirsty, which makes it move. Uh, so if you want to attract them to one place only, make sure you have a big water supply outside of where your pet dog goes. Right, That's why the rat leaves. He wants to get, he's, he's really thirsty from blood loss, and they will cut the baits around. But the best sort of baits you'll find are the waxy ones. Right, the ones that are enclosed in wax that have a anti-dog smell, an anti-cat. I hate this flavour. Right, and that will protect your animals really, really efficiently. So um, that that's the best solution. But remember, the principle here is God gave me dominion. The rats don't have dominion over us. Uh, we have dominion over the rats. So feel free to exercise that dominion with God's authorization. We've got listeners who've been waiting very patiently. But before we just move there. Back to the venom of the snakes, John. Uh, The venom is only a problem, isn't it, if you're bitten, uh, and when the venom finds its way into the wrong place. Mm -hmm. So making sense of bad things that might happen here. Give us your thoughts here before we take another call. Okay. As a prolonged gardener who grows lots of plants, uh, the one thing I do know is that many plants we consider harmless are actually toxic in the wrong quantities, e.g. those of you who love your herbs, watch out for rosemary, right? Rosemary and a few leaves per dish is fine. You can become addicted to rosemary and it will become toxic to you, right? So uh, the right amount is also a key. So likewise, when you have a look at our foxglove, and I'm sure it's a good evidence of God's foreknowledge, right? Because the foxglove, you eat too many of them, you'll die. You get a heart attack and die. But you take the right amount of foxglove and it's a brilliant help to your heart problems. So there's always both sides of that. And again, all things in moderation, says the scripture. You and I need to be careful that we treat animals and we treat the plants with moderation towards them too. So like I've got red-bellied black snakes in my backyard. Now, despite their reputation, they are incredibly toxic if they bite you, but they won't go out of their way to bite you. I've had them brush up against my legs and I'm not worried. I've had them run under the dog's legs. I'm not worried because they are harmless. They are. They will wander away from you. They are, they are not a, a problem, even though the fear level out there in the schools is this is a really dangerous snake. No, it's not. It's only dangerous if it bites you. It's only going to bite you if your foot goes straight down on you. Ah, snake, right, and, and jump, etc. So you will find that, that we have a, a bad education concerning snakes, a bad education concerning poisonous things, because in a little quantity, many of these poisonous things are, so, uh, are, are, are helpful to us if you have a problem yourself with your heart or with things like that. So that's the perspective I encourage you to keep remembering that when God made everything, it was very good. And we wouldn't have gone around saying, snake, jump on it, right? Yep. We wouldn't have done that. We would have treated the whole creation with respect and, and did it God's way for his glory. 1-800-316-316. Our talkback line's open. Let's hear from Alex in Melbourne. Hi, Alex. Thanks for waiting so patiently. Uh, thank you, Neil. Yes, uh, John, I just regarding snakes and, and before the fall, uh, the the words that uh, of chapter three there. Now the and now the serpent was more crafty than mm-hmm. any of the wild animals that the Lord had made. Uh, have you got any thoughts on that word craft? Uh, why the snake, though the serpent, was more crafty? Okay, now remember the word. There is not snake. The word is serpent. 
And later on you read about this serpent in the book of Revelation who is also described as the great dragon. Now you look at the illustrations of the book of Revelation and the dragon has legs. The snake, the serpent really in Genesis is also cursed when sin happens and he was told by God from now on you will crawl on your belly. And the interesting thing is fossil snakes, we find them. They've got legs. If you pick up a constrictor or a, a big python, it's got legs. You mostly can't see it, but they're there. It now can only crawl on the ground. And what we found is uh, when it crawls on the ground, it can do that simply because serpent s, s, right? Our traditional letter S comes from the shape of a snake and serpentuous means snake-like. But the distance between its legs has increased since it lost its legs. Surprise, surprise, the same thing sort of happens to us. The number of backbones you've got actually is related to the genes for your legs. Uh, I won't go into that. It's a totally different lecture. But in reality, when you look at the wisdom of the serpent, the serpent is actually a crafty animal, right? When, when you look at animals, animals come in all levels of crafty. But remember, the craftiness of this creature is now added on to by the craftiness of the devil. This is not just a snake saying, hey, look, there's a good-looking woman. I think I'll, I'll try and tempt her. This is a serpent actually with the mind and the, and the power of Satan who is using him. And this serpent, you know, it's a natural serpent for a start because it is judged. And the judgment shows up as a physical uh, judgment upon snakes ever since. And many of them have lost their legs and still lose their legs faster than any other creature. But the judgment on the serpents is because it allowed, I don't know how God judges the, the, uh, you know, the, the guiltiness of animals, but they are judgeable because God even says to the Jewish people, if an ox gores a man to death, that ox is to pay the price, right? It, there's a volition in there, a choice of will, and I don't know how God judges that because we can't judge that at all. But craftiness is certainly there in serpents, the way they go around today. They choose what hours to come out. They choose when it's hot. They choose when it's cold. They do have a choosability, and it's a, a pretty high-level choosability for a creature that sort of has no legs anymore. Alex in Melbourne, thank you so much for your question. Taking calls, 1-800-316-316. If you've got a question for John Mackay, the creation guy, let's take another question. Doug is in Narrabri in New South Wales. Hi, Doug. Welcome. Hi. Um, yeah, I'm just going back to the mice. We had a mice plague last year, and um, in Moree, uh, it's not made for farming. And it had a major flood, and um, I don't know how many millions of, or tens of millions of mice drowned in that flood. And um, there's another uh, woman out towards Byron Junction. She uh, pulled a serpent, um, a, a python off the road, um, because she knew it, was a, uh, it ate, and ate mice. So, yeah. Yeah, well, but basically, if I can just interrupt you here, when you look at plagues, there's two factors that are involved. One is you look at the plagues of locusts in the Bible. And there's certainly the fact that even today in Australia, we can predict when the locusts are going to go wild because we keep our eyes on their, where their eggs were laid last time and we use infrared measurement. And when we see the eggs sort of beginning to get ready to go, we say, well, there'll be a plague here in two months, three months. Let's go and treat it now before it starts. Now, in John the Baptist's day, you didn't do that. You ate them, right, because he would crush up the back end of it just because they looked like grasshoppers, right, and mix them with uh, any sort of other food you liked. So, and then 
then cooked them up as a patty. So it wasn't like, you know, just a solid locust you were eating. They would cook them, add a bit of honey, and honey and locust was a little patty that was cooked and it was real sweet. Um, you could do that with the mice if you like, harvest the mice, but we don't have much of a market for harvested mice. But there's always both a natural side to this and there's also a fact that God has told his people, and this includes Australia, if you love me, if you obey my commandments, I will. Right, And there's all sorts of promises that come with that. So don't be surprised every now and then we get a country in which nature appears to be out of control. Largely, I suspect it's because we have stopped praying to God for the weather, which stimulates a lot of these plagues. We have stopped asking God, please send the rain or please hold the rain. Uh, We have stopped asking God for total blessing on our crops. And he humbles us. If you've ever lost your whole crop to mice, you can say, Lord, I'm bankrupt. I am really, really in need. But we've forgotten to do that 10 years in a row when we had good crops. So there's all of those factors, even though we can't pin down any one of them at any time, it's because we aren't God. If we could, we could say, Mr. Prime Minister, because of what you said, there's going to be a mouse plague in Canberra. We can't, we're just not that good. We're not the John the Prophet uh, level of, of prediction at the moment. Doug in Narrabri, thank you so much for your call. Our talkback line open, 1-800-316-316. When we talk about bad things happening to good people, uh, let's say the farmer is doing a good job. They're a good farmer. They might even be a strong Christian. But all of these other factors that you're describing, they go to an effect on whole communities and then potentially whole nations if there is a nation that falls away from God, that neglects to actually bring God into the farming and the business of a nation. Any thoughts here about the neglect of God and then the consequences, again, of this deeper definition we've got of mm-hmm. what, it, what happens in sin. Okay. Um, the best illustration of this probably in the last three or four decades has been the collapse of communist Russia because whilst they would concentrate all their money on military and arms and things like that, they neglected God. They neglected God the creator. They put him out of their schools. They, they did all these things. And in the end, the entire communist system became top-heavy and it collapsed. It went broke, right? It went broke. Now, you can say the CIA played with the finances. Probably all of these things are true at the above. But it brings us to the same warning Billy Graham's daughter gave to America. Why is this happening in our schools? Why is this happening, the violence, the sexual disease, etc.? And she said, because we're leaving God out. So no nation is immune to this big picture judgment. In fact, I'll throw in one thought for some people out there. We often ask, why do bad things happen to good people? But the other alternative is just as important. Why do good things happen to bad people? Because many of the people who've come through COVID, billions of dollar riches, you'd say, well, they're not good people, right? How, How could this happen? And King David had the same problem. He said, I was really worried by the fact that these bad people, these criminals, seem to be getting richer and richer. And he said, it was only when I went into the temple of the Lord and I saw their end. So you and I keep in perspective that we may not know all the little nitty gritties about the mouse plagues or whatever, but we do know the God who invented mice. We can appeal to him as an individual, as a community, as a nation. Now, we're certainly not doing it as a nation at the moment. We need to. We can also say, God, the wrong people are benefiting at the moment and they're using it for that which is not good for our nation, for our community, for the individual. We need to see your judgment. 
right? Not because we hate the people, we want those people saved, right? We, we need the, the, the most purple people, the most pink people, the most green people, etc. They need to know Jesus. That's the, their solution for them. So let's pray towards that end too. My suspicion, John, is that the evolutionist, uh, the humanist, is not asking the questions about why bad things happen to good people. Uh, they're basically just taking it for granted that it is survival of the fittest, that it is dog-eat-dog, and that there's no meaningfulness in there. Take that to its fullest extent, and uh, really, we're at loggerheads with one another. There's tension, there's conflict, there's violence. But let me just, I want to bring in here where the Christian ethic, where the Christian understanding, God's revelation makes something, some sense to us. Because while you've got this dominion mandate that continues from Genesis, you've got this affirmation when the Son of God arrives, the incarnation. Christmas Day is important because this is the time we celebrate the incarnation. God arrives and affirms his dominion. And brings revelation, affirmation, uh, Christian ethics, the law from the Old Testament, what that means when we're following a individual now, the Son of God, the transcendent God is here. Your thoughts here on the difference that it makes when you are a Christian believer, understanding that you can make sense of all of the mm-hmm. tragedy, all of the, the dreadful things that you can see in the world. Okay, a couple of real illustrations I've been to Wales, right? Love Wales because of the rocks and fossils and, and the cute accent that people have when they speak English over there, or the Welsh English. And uh, Welsh Gaelic, by the way, is harsh to your ear. You'd be surprised at how harsh Welsh Gaelic is compared to our ordinary English. And uh, anyway, the thing that's interesting is the history of Christianity there and the great revivals in the 1800s. Now, the problems in Wales, mining, alcoholism, right? Uh, families bust up. Then the preachers come and they don't attack any of those things. They preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. And the hearts were hungry because God had gone ahead of them and preached the way. Suddenly the chapels are full. Suddenly they're building more chapels and they didn't need anti-government regulations about alcohol because nobody went to get drunk anymore. Now, we've got a similar problem in the middle of Australia. You know, people are saying, oh, the Aborigines can't cope with their alcohol, all of which can be true. But that's not the solution. Making laws to ban alcohol is not going to actually stop somebody drinking it or hunting out where it is. The preaching of the gospel of Jesus Christ is. Now, I've got an Aboriginal conference to run later this year, and I won't be preaching out the need for land rights, the need for regulations. I'll be preaching about Jesus Christ, who invented all these things, including us, and he knows very well what alcohol susceptibility is, and here's what he says, right? You need to follow him. You need him as your Lord and Savior. So there's very practical application where Christianity alone, not government regulations, not more money, not less money, but Christianity alone comes to the people, and they are saved, and it's Jesus Christ who dwells in them and says, well, you don't need to be drunk on wine. You need to be drunk on the Spirit, right? Get filled with the Spirit. You'll find you change. And they really, really do. People change. They align with a new identity and the identity that's centered in Jesus Christ, the perfect representation of who God is. Now, this is the thing that I'll get your thought on because move Jesus Christ out of your conversation and uh, you are only left with now the need for voluminous uh, quantity of new laws and regulations. Mm. So when we talk about freedom, 
And there's different definitions that are floating around our society today. Different people think freedom is associated with being able to do what you want to do. Freedom comes when you are connected to God and his revelation and the person of Christ. Following a person leads to freedom. Thoughts here on the evolution debate, survival of the fittest, and where it is in so far as our freedoms go, John, because under the evolutionary mindset, we're headed for being enslaved. Yeah. Thoughts here? Yeah, what you'll find is whether you debate Richard Dawkins, David Attenborough, some of these guys, and you pin them down onto what actually is freedom, to an evolutionist there's no ultimate definition, except you do as I say, except you do as I think is freedom. And if you don't, I'll get laws passed to force you to accept me or at least do what I say. Now, he has no definition of freedom because evolution is at start a lie. Therefore, anything legislation-wise that grows out of it will in the end be false and it will force you into submission to someone who thinks they're God but can only prove they're a devil, right? So when you have a look at evolution, it has no possible benefit to politics. Uh, I mean, you think of politics, the old word poly, meaning people, right? But if you want people to rule the world, it's going to degenerate rapidly into chaos. What we want is theopoly. We need God in charge through Christ by the power of the Holy Spirit. Now, the chief example here is William Wilberforce, right? He grew up in an England which promoted slavery, which benefited slavery, right? And he fought all his life to get slavery stopped. Now, praise the Lord, he had a Christian motivation, he had a Christian message, and it was the Christian message that got this through, not just, hey, here will be the economic benefits of getting rid of slaves. You won't have to pay all the upkeep, right? We won't have to pay the insurance policies, which is really the line that pushed it because they could drop their slaves over the edge and claim the insurance, right? So there were all sorts of things that had promoted this because they were ungodly, and there was really an evolutionary view then, we're better than black people. We're better than the slaves, and that was false. He had to knock it on the head. He got a lot of opposition, and you and I need to do the same. Here is God's view of man. Here is God's view of freedom. Here is Christ in God that gives you freedom alone. I'm going to have to put a, a line under any more calls, and uh, apologies to that caller who's waiting. We won't be able to take your call. Uh, John, just to come back to how people get more insight, more understanding I know that people really respond when they hear the sorts of reasoning that just flows out of you so eloquently. And it's just wonderful to be able to hear. But people will be saying, where can I find out some more detail? I've got questions that I want to ask. Uh, how do you point people to getting answers to their questions? Okay, creationresearch.net, then click on Q&A. creationresearch.net, click on Q&A. And if you want uh, the videos or the streaming uh, like the uh, Did a Good God Make Bad Bugs or uh, the Real History of Worms and Germs, which was done for a group of medical people largely and done at a lay level, because let's be honest, most specialists are specialists in their own field, lay people outside of that. So this is a wide ranging one on the sort of issues we've dealt with today. So there's lots of videos now available, streaming or anything like that. So creationresearch.net, click on Q&A or fact file or just go to the general line. That's the main one, creationresearch.net. Uh, there's all sorts of other sites like askjohnmackay.com. You can find John all over YouTube. You can follow him on Facebook. You can follow him on Twitter. You can keep up with fossils on Instagram. And you can subscribe to... In fact, Neil, can I yep. just check one? 
this Saturday here in Australia, even though we use it as broadcast for England. At um, 7 o'clock, we have our normal creation conversations. Uh, it's really nighttime in England, but we have a, a creation conversations. If you're up the Saturday morning, 7.30, get onto our YouTube and enjoy two hours of us. Okay, creationresearch.net is the primary location where you can find out where all of these things are happening, and uh, it is fascinating stuff to get your teeth into. Hey, John, just quickly too, you've got an important date coming up, March the 19th, the big reveal on mm. new developments around yeah. the Creation Museum. Uh, where are people meeting for that? Uh, I'm not going to tell you now because it's a big reveal. <laughs> okay. They have to apply. There's an application form on our website and they have to apply there and we'll tell them on the ticket, right, where, where we're going to. But I'll give you a clue. We were praying for a location between Toowoomba, Caloundra and Coolangatta and this is GPS almost slap bang in the middle of those three locations. So there's your first clue. Those who are on our mailing list, you will get an email probably today or tomorrow uh, with an invite in it. So... And I imagine there's going to be some you know, financial needs as well. And there might be some who will say, I'll pray for John Mackay mm-hmm. uh, because he does such incredible uh, job in your ministry. There might be some too who can say, I can be a supporter of your mm-hmm. ministry in a financial way. Uh, leave that to listeners to be prayerful about. But creationresearch.net. John Mackay, thanks so much for updating us uh, with a great topic today on 2020. Great stuff. Thanks for taking time to listen to this audio on demand from Vision Christian Media. To find out more about us, go to vision.org.au.